electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Fast, Wall Street's biggest bull is out with a big warning for your money as we head into a new year. Why Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey sees trouble brewing in 2022. Plus, the fast money hits and misses or traders are bringing you the trades they nailed this year and the trades they got nailed by. And later, a picture is worth a thousand words. But is this NFT really worth $91.8 million? We're breaking down how the market assigns real value in the Wild West of NFTs. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, and Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global. As we close the books on 2021, well, you know, we all love acronyms. Who doesn't love a good acronym? They're clever. They're easy to remember. Sometimes they even catch on. Of course, you all know FANG. And then there's Dan Nathan's famous MAGA trade. Now it's time to turn the page for the new year. So our traders are laying out their top acronyms for 2022. We will kick things off with Guy. But before we dive into your new one for the new year, Guy, we want to revisit the acronym you laid out for 2021. You chose the HOPE trade, Home Depot, Oracle, Palantir, and Expedia. You tied the market, which is pretty damn good. Oh, I should probably say that. Um, Up 27% this year. So, Guy, what's your new one for 2022? Yeah, and if you took the P out of the hope trade, Mel, you would have had a real winner there, but then it would have been a problem with uh, the FCC. But I digress. <laughs> I'll give you one for 2022. It's dawn. And, you know, you think about that word. It has such a beautiful connotation, dawn, the beginning of a new day. And I'm going to throw the dawn at you. The D is Disney. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He's never liked Disney before. I haven't. But you know what? The stock traded lower. It's bouncing. I think it goes higher. The A Airbnb. People will travel again. And you know where we're going to go? Win Resorts, the W in Dawn. And then the last one, you might remember this a week or so ago. I said Neo below 30 is absolutely worth a look. Look at what it's done today. Neo, the N in my Dawn trade. Back to you, Melms. Uh, reopening. You got a little EV sprinkled in there. Um, Brian Kelly, I'm curious, what's your take on Dawn? What would you trade and what would you fade in that? Uh, you know what? I, I actually like most of them. The only one I don't like is probably wind resorts. And that's primarily because you've got exposure to China and the whims of the Chinese government. So, you know, for me, I'd take out the W and I guess we end up with Dan. <laughs> and do we want Dan? Dan? <laughs> do you like the rest of it, Dan? Hey, you know Listen. There were some things in there that, that kind of uh, were were very much in line with my trade from last year. Guy did much better than I did right there. Um, I, I really do like some of that stuff. I agree with, with BK on the China stuff. I mean, it really – I know we spent a lot of time talking about it. It just seems like that's not done yet. We spoke earlier in the week about Didi. That thing's been cut in half in just a couple of months or so. So that's a tougher trade here. And really, you are at the whims of the Chinese government right yeah, now. I, I think a lot of people underestimated Beijing's – um, determination to crack down on its own tech sector. Uh, Dan, we want to get to your acronym. Before we get to that one, to the new one, we want to check yeah. on your pick for last year. And you had the Abide trade. Um, Amazon, Alibaba, IPOC, and IPOC, of course, being the Clover Health pre-SPAC deal. Um, so this one was a tough one. It was down on the year, Dan. So how are you going to yeah. turn things around? 
Yeah, a bit spotty here. I'm going to go with AARP. This is a shout out to my main man, Guy Adami, who just had a birthday, as we all know. And so this is really channeling my inner guy here. And I want to get a little of that aged wisdom here. I'm going to stick with Amazon. That was the A in my abide trade here, because I actually think Amazon is going to outperform the rest of MAGA, the Microsoft, the Apple, and the Google. All of those gained $1 trillion in market cap in 2021. And Amazon was just up 5% or so. I think Amazon massively outperforms those other big tech leaders in 2022. Then I want to move over to Airbnb. I agree with Guy. What I think is really interesting about Airbnb, what was very evident in that Q3 that they reported that Guy would say was Ridic is that now work has changed for good. So it wasn't just a leisure sort of story anymore. Now it's you can travel whenever you want and work from wherever you want. I think that's going to really do a number for Airbnb in 2022. And then I want to move on to Roblox. That is your meta 1.0 play right there. And we've talked about Roblox a lot since Amazon or since Facebook changed their name. So I like Roblox there. And lastly, Palantir. That was the P in guys go, uh, hope trade. I think he was just a year too early. I think this thing really outperforms in 2022. I think this is the year they hit gap profitability after being in business for nearly 20 years. And with gross margins of north of 80% and growing revenues at 30% plus, if we do have that gap profitability, I think Palantir is going to be much higher a year from now. So Dan is banking on a couple of underperformers in 2021 in Amazon and, and Palantir. And then agreeing with Guy and Airbnb, Victoria, that sort of surprised me that both of them came up with Airbnb. What's your take? Yeah, I think with the reopening concept that people have and being able to work from everywhere, like Dan was talking about, whether it's Airbnb or Verbo, they have that opportunity to travel. You're seeing that um, with people at the airport. So I think that's a, a good bet. I'm a little concerned about Amazon. I know it's been kind of the worst performer of those things as of late, and I think it may continue to drag just a little bit in the near term. But for a long term play, I think it makes sense. Guy, um, you abandoned Palantir for this year. Were you just like, yeah, good riddance with no, that? No, I didn't it, abandon I mean, anything. Dan picked it up, but I'm wondering if, if you would have, uh, you know, s stuck it in your acronym, too, if you had the chance. Well, there ain't no P in Dawn. There ain't no P in Dawn, sister. So I was going to have trouble jamming that in. You could have gone I mean, pawn. I try to be creative every year. <laughs> you know what? I could have gone, gone pawn. Without question. Yeah. You know do I have time? Can I? Can I? No. no. I like Dawn because I like done. the connotation. You know, the beginning of a new. It's just hope last year, Dawn this year. I'm sticking with my but guns here. But what's your outlook for Palantir? Oh, so you like Palantir? I love it. I've said Still. it for a while. Listen, at one point last year, Palantir was a $45 stock. It looked like it was off to the races. I think it got caught up in the whole Reddit thing. And then obviously it just got crashed after that. But I think people are misunderstanding the, some of the um, benefits and some of the upside the stock has specifically around crypto. And I think BK can speak to this, sort of the cyber things around crypto. When Palantir launches that or tells the world about that, be careful, the stock's much higher. All right, let's get to Victoria's acronym. Victoria, what is yours? Yeah, so in honor of weekly jobless claims hitting an almost 50-year low today, my acronym is JOBS. So we look at the J, we're looking at JP Morgan. We really like financials going into next year. We talked about it a little bit earlier this week as to why the dividends going higher next year, balance sheet's going to be strong with loan growth increasing, um, cheap to the market. So I think financials are going to do well. JP Morgan, leader in that institutional space. Then for our O, O'Reilly Automotive. I know that
that there was um, a big run-up in O'Reilly over the past year as people were doing their own auto um, issues at home, fixing their own things with their cars. And I think that's going to continue. And they're expanding now with a lot of new stores, especially in the Northeast and partnerships in Mexico. Um, moving to our B, Bank of America, again, another financial play. This one focused a little bit more on the retail side um, of the bank business, and we like that. And I know Chris Harvey's going to come on and talk about financials, so I'm glad we're kind of in the same space there. And then our S, I know normally we don't talk about smaller mid-cap names, but we look at Shockwave Medical. And with an aging population, I mean, I know none of us are aging, but in general, as people are aging and heart disease being such a prominent issue in the United States, this is a company that uses sound waves to break up the calcium in arteries instead of having to go in and do an angioplasty. So I think there is potential for this company um, in the new year. Little known fact, and maybe the traders don't know it either, is that I, I have this screen, this magical screen here where I can see the traders all the time, even when they are off camera. And I saw the reaction to O'Reilly Automotive and all the went, hmm, interesting. So, BK, what was going through your noggin? Well, O'Reilly's a name that I owned over the last year. And, and the idea was exactly the same as Victorian mentioned. Listen, if you can't buy a used car or a new car, you got to fix your old one. And that is still continuing. We still have supply chain issues. We still have a shortage of cars out there. So I do think it, should, it could go. And it's had a tremendous run. But you know what? The fundamental story behind it has not broken. So I still like it. Doubling down on financials in uh, Victoria's acronym, Dan. What do you think of that? Not a fan. I love Victoria. Not a fan of those two letters in that one. And I'll just tell you this. I mean, the S&P, we've been talking about the new highs it's been making every day for the last week. Well, what the heck is wrong with money center banks? You know, J.P. Morgan and Bank America are down about eight and a half percent from their um, recent highs, which came at least a month ago here. Maybe it's that kind of flattening yield curve that we see. I know that some prominent people that I listen to, as far as rates are concerned, are expecting that the uh, the yield curve inverts in 2022. That would not be good for the banks, in my opinion. Then the last part I'll just say is capital markets activity in 2020 and 2021 were off the charts here. I would expect that to slow down next year. So that and the rate environment, I expect banks to continue to underperform. All right. Last but not least is Brian Kelly. So BK, what is your acronym for mm -hmm. the new year? Yeah, it's exactly that, BK. I'm going to make it easy on everybody, right? You're going to be two letters, my neck, my name. It's going to be Bitcoin and carbon credits. Now, it might sound like you, Bitcoin sounds obvious for me, right? But I still think that is going to be one of the assets in the next year that outperforms all others. We still have a long-term adoption cycle that's going on. And the macroeconomic environment, if the economy stalls a bit, you're going to start to see, and we already are starting to see, central banks put liquidity back into the market. So I think Bitcoin's okay. The second one is carbon, K-R-B-N. So this tracks European carbon credits. What's interesting about them is that the market is actually designed to, in European carbon credits to go to $100. They're trading at about $79. K-R-B-N tracks that. So as we go through 22, you would expect European carbon credits to go to $100. That's about a 25% increase. I'll take 25% on my portfolio any day and twice on Sunday. Is that a discount to, is this sort of like the idea of a discount to the net asset value for this that has, in the gap has to close? No. 
No, no, because carbon's trading at, uh, I think, uh, KRBN's trading at 50. It's just uh, the mechanics of the ETF. So it's not necessarily an NAV trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, if, you know, you, you would expect carbon to track and go up around 25% if European carbon credits go up 25%. See, I, I thought that there would be like a polka dot in there or a mana or a Solana or something. So BK <laughs> kind of surprised me with BK. Yeah, but I mean... I was going to go with base, which would be Bitcoin, Atom, Solana, and Ethereum. You but, are. you know, I like BK. Yeah. There he is. Yeah. Guy, what do you think of BK's BK? Well, I don't think he's playing the game right. I thought this whole, I mean, my, my, I had my smart board out. What? Like what you know, if you see what I wrote on my smart board. You picked I mean, Dawn what, and what's Dan. What's an anagram again? Yeah, but that spells something. I mean, I don't know. I thought it was supposed to spell something. BK doesn't spell anything. BK is his name. It spells greatness in some words. It spells BK. Okay, we're done with acronyms. Let's move on for now. 2021's (laughs) biggest bull is less than 1% away from achieving his 48-25 year-end target, but he doesn't plan on celebrating. He is concerned now about a tough road ahead. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, good to have you with us. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you about your acronym. You're worried. I mean, that's basically your word. But so why? <laughs> so, so, Melissa, that, that's right. We've been a bull. Uh, we've been a bull into year end. We thought there'd be a melt up. But now it's time as we look at the landscape for more sobering thoughts. And there's probably two, three, maybe four reasons. The first I would say is if you look at multiples, we're at peakish multiples on top of peakish growth. That's not really bullish. If you look at the consumer, no doubt the consumer is in fine shape, but we think the consumer spending is going to normalize next year. Then it's about the mentality. There's this pervasive mentality that the market can bend but can't break. We do expect a 10% pullback next year, either in 2Q or the beginning of the summertime. And the last thing I would say is we're late in the cycle. Funny things happen late in the cycle. And what we expect to see is we expect to see multiple compression whether it's due to deceleration of growth, the Fed getting more aggressive, or maybe what we're going to see is a peaking of pricing. And and that could lead to a peaking of multiples and, of course, a peaking of margins. So we're we're a lot more conservative this year. We want people to think about the risk side of the equation first and then the return side. So, Chris, you just mentioned the peaking of multiples here. And when you think about the broad market, we know the concentration in a handful of names. And it seems like a lot of investors have gotten very comfortable with paying, you know, historically like 15, 20 year highs in names like Microsoft and Apple and even um, Alphabet here. Does that concentration in the outperformance in those handful of names um, and then throw in an NVIDIA, which is up over 100 percent this year, trading at a very high multiple of sales and earnings nearly a trillion dollars in market, do they worry you? And why wouldn't we see a 10% peak to trough decline sooner than Q2? Dan, you make some really good points. And it does concern us. We're starting to see things that we saw in the late 90s, the concentration. The other thing that we're seeing is if you look at the consumer's balance sheet, if you look at the net worth, 24% of their holdings are in stocks. The last time we saw something even close to that was the late 90s. And the early 2000s didn't work out so well. So we're very worried about that. And we're also very worried about pricing. For the first time in a while, we're getting some anecdotal information that the consumer's not the same price taker that he or she was six and 12 months ago. And if they're not, if they're more price conscious, again, that gets back to multiples and margins. And we have a problem going forward. I get the concern about stocks. That's that's something that I found very, very interesting, Chris. Um, But at the same time, the consumer also has a lot less debt than probably that same period 
uh, the time. And I'm wondering if that factors in at all, that just overall the consumer's in better shape. So even if he or she feels a dent in the portfolio, uh, you know, they're not relying on that money to pay off any credit cards or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Melissa, I think you're right. And what we're trying to say, and maybe not saying it perfectly and not so eloquently, is we don't think the wheels are going to fall off the cart with the consumer. What we think is there's going to be a repricing. And what we have to think about is that normalization of spending, that normalization of the balance sheet, that normalization of risk appetite, and what that does to multiples, potentially what that does to margin. And that's why I think we'll have some sort of pullback. And Dan's right. Maybe I'm a little bit Maybe I'm not aggressive enough. Maybe it happens sooner rather than later. We do have a lot of froth in the marketplace, and you can see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. One of the things we always point to is is naming of stadiums. Staples Center is no longer going to be the Staples Center, but Crypto.com. We're beginning to see mayors say, I want to take my, my salary in, in crypto. And we're beginning to see, again, that mentality that the market can bend but never break. And that's troubling. All right. Chris, good to see you. Thank you and Happy New Year. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities. Um, Brian Kennelly, I'll go to you since he's pointing to uh, crypto specifically as maybe a sign that people believe things go up, up, up. Um, Do you do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, listen, I always worry whenever something becomes a consensus trade or you start to see stadiums being named. That's a, you know, you don't have a really good track record of naming a stadium and then having your company do well. That being said, I, you know, I, I think that crypto has a lot. Crypto can be this growth area, so it has a lot more to it than just necessarily one particular company naming a stadium. Uh, but you do need to watch those things. And, you know, to Chris's point, if we, and we talked about it earlier, if you start to see a yield curve inverting and we start to see the Federal Reserve really trying to slam on the brakes here, when the economy is already stalling, they could be raising rates at the exact wrong time, which would absolutely hurt risk assets. Yeah, I think the point about the consumer is interesting as well. During the pandemic, there are reasons to spend nesting. You're buying Dutch ovens and new sofas and, and throw pillows and things like that. And then you're coming out and you're going out and you're buying tickets and traveling, et cetera. But when things get back to normal, what does that look like? And what does that do to comparisons year on year, Victoria? So we still have strong faith in the consumer. And I know Chris is talking about how that consumer is actually going to pull back a little bit. And it probably will. We're not going to have the tremendous growth that we had last year and the the growth in spending from the consumer. But I think some people are really underestimating how strong the consumer will continue to be, especially in the first half of next year. I don't think the Fed is going to come in in March and raise rates immediately. So I think the stock market actually has a pretty good tailwind in the beginning of the year. Household balance sheets are really strong, as you mentioned. You've got people that are having um, their wages increasing. So I think there's still um, some good movement here for the consumer, and that's going to support the economy. I do share his belief that starting around the middle of the year, there's going to be a little bit more concern. I know Bob Dahl, our CIO, he comes out with his 10 predictions next week, so I don't want to front run any of that. But some of the more macro ideas that Chris was mentioning, I think, are very valid and we'll have to watch for the second half of 2022. All right. Coming up, a chip crunch, COVID concerns hitting some major semi-stocks, a hash to trade the group. We've got the details next. Plus, the year may be ending, but the NFT boom is still kicking. Our next guest actually has a non-fungible fund. He'll break down what is inside when Fast Money returns. Don't go anywhere. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance 
with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Micron sinking today as China COVID concerns hit the chip sector. Let's get to Josh Lipton for the details. Melissa, Micron did have some news for investors saying that COVID-related closures in a Chinese city would impact its DRAM production, though the company expects to be able to meet most of its customer demand. I checked in with Matt Bryson over at Wedbush. He covers the name. At this point, he argues that this could actually end up being a positive for the company. Historically, pricing is more important than volume. His point being, if customers now think there could be more shortages coming, they might end up paying more for Micron's chips. Having said that, he does rate Micron a neutral. Peers like Western Digital, he says, are more attractively valued. Micron stock dipping in today's trade, but still up about 25% this year, up nearly 40% in just the past two months. Now, is there a broader challenge that chip investors should start thinking about here, though? I spoke to another chip analyst. He says this is a tough one to judge right now, but it does seem like these kind of impacts to chip factories, he says, are going to be short-lived. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Josh Lipton. So we saw Micron and Western Digital trade lower today on the back of this news. They were trading higher yesterday on the back of the news that Samsung was cutting its production of NAND also uh, in China on COVID concerns. Guy, so how does this all shake out for you in terms of the trade? Well, unfortunately, you know, you, I keep thinking of Micron's away from being commoditized and away from, you know, being cyclical and getting into sort of you can more granular. You can look at it and say, you know, this company is going to grow at X and the stock's going to be lower left to upper right. And that's not true. What I will tell you is there are names that do make sense. And I look at Qualcomm, which, by the way, is still hovering right around its all time high. It's almost 16 times next year's numbers. And I say, you know what, that's a company that's sort of figured it out and still too cheap. So unfortunately, you know, Micron continues to be the Micron of 10 years ago, where Qualcomm is starting to be the Qualcomm that everybody thought it could be five to 10 years ago. You know, there are prognostications today that the wave of Omicron is going to be um, strong through January. And I'm, I'm just wondering, Dan, if we are factoring in the impact uh, like this uh, around the world, particularly when it comes to supply chain. I mean, we got a lot of data points from the last earnings season, which seemed to indicate that things were getting better. And yet here we are once again in lockdown mode in various sort of factory, you know, the factories around the world. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, that's one reason to maybe look at the foundries, too, especially like a Taiwan Semi, which really has been in range bound, Mel, like for the better part of this year. It made uh, highs early this year. And I think at that point, a lot of investors thought that the, the pandemic would be in the rearview mirror by now. And if you think of the SMH, which has massively outperformed the S&P and the NASDAQ up 44 percent, that's the ETF that tracks the semiconductor group. It's really being led by a handful of names. And those names are NVIDIA, as we just 
just talked about before, up more than 100% in the year. Um, you know, uh, Broadcom has been a big winner there, and so has AMD. So you might want to think about um, maybe some pairs trades there. I could see maybe, uh, you know, Micron did have a late year rally here come in a little bit now. Micron, Intel, and Taiwan Semi, it might be a kind of dogs of the SMH trade into the new year because the valuations are pretty reasonable and expectations are not particularly high. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The year may be coming to a close, but the NFT boom is just getting started. Our next guest is bringing us his NFT resolutions. Plus, stocks in 2021 have seen some ups and downs, so our traders are reminiscing on their best and worst picks. We're hitting the winners and the losers. There's more Fast Money coming up. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking at $91.8 million. That's how much... This NFT, the merge by the artist Pack, fetched at auction earlier this month. It is the most expensive NFT ever sold. Now, take a look at this one. $11.8 million. That is the value of CryptoPunk number 7523. The accessories include an earring, knitted cap, and a medical mask. Sign of the times here. And this one is $6 million. That's how much the NFT, a coin for a ferryman, sold in November. So how are these values determined? Our next guest owns more than 500 NFTs as a co-founder of Way Financial, which manages its own NFT fund called the Non-Fungible Fund. Let's bring in Les Borsai. Les, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've, you've been an early adopter in crypto, so you have been in from the very start. But we're wondering, for people who are just joining this game, how do you figure out what is valuable? When you're investing in an NFT for your fund, for instance— how do you determine that this one is going to increase in value and have a return? I think you have to kind of recognize my history um, to answer the question appropriately. You know, I came from entertainment and a big part of entertainment as we looked for new talent was always kind of community and getting to something early. Um, when I got into cryptocurrency, I did it with a partner who had been in finance for a long time. And with NFTs, we see some of those same common traits. Um, and because he was in venture, when you also apply due diligence to the team, you can take a pretty good guess on what you think is going to be uh, valuable and what's not going to be valuable. Um, and further to that point, you know, when you talk about some of the um, NFTs that have just sold, it's really a case of supply and demand. And there's so much global demand for NFTs right now um, that obviously, you know, the prices are going to be pretty extreme in some cases. 
Hey, it's BK. So I've got a question about who is the buyer of these $90 million NFTs, right? So we know there's a lot of people that made a lot of money on paper as these things have gone up. But are, are, are people coming in from the traditional art world and buying $90 million NFTs? Or is it somebody else? Is it, is it money laundering? What is it? Well, I mean, it's not money laundering, although I'm sure that it exists everywhere, including with cash. Um, you know, I moderated a panel at SALT, um, which is uh, a big panel that Scaramucci does in New York. And we had no on from Christie's. Um, Christie's really led the charge with, you know, taking these traditional pieces of art. And, and you know, the question was asked, who is the buyer? And the truth is, it's a new buyer. Um, and we're seeing a shift right now. And I think it was their foresight kind of with the traditional art markets to introduce new buyers to this. And, and what we're actually seeing is, is a lot of uh, traditional art buyers trying to figure it out. It's why someone like a Gagosian might be a little bit later to, you know, what NFTs are actually about. And, and I also want to state that it's not just about art. Um, it's really about much more than that. It's about liquidity and creating an economy, mm -hmm. which is another long conversation. <laughs> Sure, sure. I think that, I mean, if you're an early investor in an NFT last and you're sort of investing in something before it's fully valued, let's say just like a stock, recognizing value, um, you mentioned community. I get that, too. I mean, for instance, CryptoPunk or Bored Apes, I mean, has a huge community around it. But if you're early, the community may not exist. So are there certain features about an NFT, something about them that makes you think, you know what, this will develop that community that is needed to propel the value of this? Yeah, I mean, look, with, with CryptoPunks, for me, it was always about generative art's been around since the 60s. And a CryptoPunk being the first thing on the Ethereum blockchain that was generative with 10,000, um, that, that was a tentpole moment. And when we kind of go down the path and wonder why are Bored Apes so valuable? Well, now we have the, you know, kind of integration of Web3, uh, the metaverse, and the roadmaps that these newer kind of launches are putting together. Um, what I really love about the whole space is it, it's really kind of this offshoot of Wall Street bets in a way where you're seeing a convergence of ideas and gaming avatars can earn you money. They can be wallets. They can be your identity. We've never seen that before. Yeah. Les, we hope you come back and keep us posted on the fund. We appreciate your time, Les Borsai of the Wave Fund. Um, Dan Nathan, I, I think that the interesting notion that Les had mentioned is the idea of community. And what we saw with Wall Street bets, what we saw with the Reddit community, is that there can be massive, very strong, strong momentum behind a cause, behind an idea, yeah. behind a concept. And that was a trend in 2021. And I think that is helping this NFT trade. Yeah, Mel, you bring up a great point, but this is so much more than that because I think that the Reddit, the, the, that thing is really only about money. And what I think Les is talking about, and I think what I've kind of learned over the last few months is spending some time, you know, kind of digging into some of these communities, is that it really is about the art. And it's about this connection between the creator of the art and those people who actually see that value, right? And so it's this direct link cutting out the middlemen. And so that's what I find really interesting. I think we've been talking about NFTs since the Beeple sale all the way back early in the year. And it really is something that's very new and we're going to see it across all different types of art. So to me, I find it very interesting. I will make one point going back to what Chris Harvey just said about 
crypto and the pocket of enthusiasm there. These are financial instruments. Make no mistake about it. The gas fees that it takes to kind of get on board and ape into these things, and then the idea of kind of buying them, hoping that they will go up in value, not just to be part of a Discord community, okay? So there's a lot of people who've been on-ramped into this financial world, right. and they think it's something that it may not be. And if these prices were to come in very hard, that is something that you just have to throw onto the layer of all these layer one tokens that BK talks about all the time, yeah. that there is risk there too. So this is a pocket of risk that I don't think is really being accounted for at the moment. I did want to go to BK on, on how you invest in the token side of things in NFTs, BK. Yeah. So can I just say that it yes. warms my heart to hear Dan talking about layer ones and, <laughs> and gas fees. It's just fantastic. Uh, but but how do you you know, how do you invest in this? Listen, I'm not an art investor. I'm never going to be able to understand why one board ape is worth more than the other or is worth 90 million. That's just not what I do. But what I can do is buy the infrastructure that all these things are built on. And that's what we call the layer one. So that's Ethereum and Solana. That's where all of these uh, uh, NFTs are being minted on. So in a sense, if you think about this as, you know, as, a, as analogy to Facebook, as the network grows and NFTs are one part of that network, then in theory, the, the underlying coin should do well, Ethereum or Solana or wherever it's minted. So that's how I look at it and say, okay, NFTs is one sector being built on top of these platforms, and there's going to be other sectors out there. And have at it, go for it, make a $90 million ape. I'm not going to be able to pick that, but I know I, I know I can buy the infrastructure. All right, coming up, the good and the bad of 2021. Our traders are breaking down their hits and their errors as we head into a new year. Plus, what has got Twitter flying higher? The social stock climbing nearly 4% in today's session. We'll dig into what's behind that move next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take one more look at the markets here. S&P 500 dipping into the red at the very end of today's session, robbing us of the 71st record close of the year. As it stands, the index has notched 70 new all-time closing highs along the way. That means that nearly 28% of all trading days this year have ended at a record high. In a year like this, there were plenty of opportunities to pick winners. But as the saying goes, you can't win them all. So now it is time to go around the horn. Each trader will give us one trade they knocked out of the park and one that was a swing and a miss. Um, Guy, we're going to start off with you. What's your hit? What's your miss? In, retro- in retrospect, my acronym should have just been AH, because I got to <laughs> tell you, Lisa Sue was killing it at AMD. And, you know, we've been on this one for a while collectively. And ever since she took over, you know, that stock that was basic, the only reason it existed years ago was so Intel wouldn't be a monopoly. Well, the tides have turned clearly, and I think that will continue. And the one that I totally whiffed on and just clearly don't understand is Texas Instruments. And I've been concerned about Texan on valuation and lack of growth, but the market doesn't seem to care. So AMD on the good side, Texan on the bad side, Melms. Dan, how about you? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. We were just talking about a lot of the innovation, and you were just talking about the 70 new highs in the S&P 500. Interestingly enough, Mel, the most innovative companies in technology fared very badly this year, despite all those new highs, despite the S&P being up near nearly 28%. When I came into this year, I said, rather than some of these innovative names that I thought had all these great secular shifts going, but they're really expensive, I was looking at Ethereum, and that was the one in January that I focused on, and I've been buying that on dips. Now, the flip side of that is SoFi, and we talked about my abide trade and i really like the chamath palahapatia i like his framework for bringing innovative tech companies to the public markets through all of those SPACs. one of them was sofi this is a company that i really like and it came public through one of his SPACs this year i started buying it in the high teens and it hasn't been fantastic for me it kind of finds support down there in that 14 to 15 level and that's where i added i added the other day to it all right uh brian kelly yeah, well, for me, I'll go to the chip area first. So NVIDIA, that was my hit. That one actually went well beyond even my expectations. NVIDIA did well before we even knew that Facebook was going to change their name to, the, to Meta and the Metaverse was going to be a thing and more 3D chips were going to be a thing. I'm a little worried about it now because a lot of that has been played out, but that was a huge hit. On the miss side, it absolutely has to be silver. I really thought that it, with the inflationary pressures, the potential for a short squeeze, Wall Street bets getting into silver, that we actually would have a nice outperformance in SLV, the ETF. And to add insult to injury, I played it through options. So I just kept bleeding money all year. So that was my miss. Oh, okay. Victoria, how about you? Yeah, so our hit this year was Lowe's, and obviously that was part of the COVID play, people remodeling their homes. We just heard the, the Angie CEO about an hour ago talking about remodeling of homes up 20% year over year. And with housing and the inventory struggles we were seeing there, Lowe's did really well. You look at earnings up about 38% year over year, margin expansion, stock buybacks. I think Marvin Ellison did a really good job with Lowe's, so that's our hit. On the other side, unfortunately, we were underweight energy this year. And, you know, energy being one of the best performing, if not the best performing sector this year. But there were a few reasons we were doing that. One, there was concern about demand, not just during you know, the hardest times of COVID, but concern about would people be driving back to offices and doing things. So concern about demand, uncertainty around supply. We saw all the headlines around OPEC and what was going on there. And then we actually have a lot of concern in regards to ESG with some of the energy companies. A lot of our assets that we manage at Crossmark have some type of a screening component to them, whether it's exclusionary or inclusionary screening. And the capital intensity that these energy companies are spending in order to try to get better scores on ESG to be included in funds, um, I think it is going to be a concern going forward. So we were underweight energy and that did not work well for us. All right. Coming up. Our traders aren't the only ones with some misses this year. Why it was a big mistake if you bet against GameStop, the big hedge fund that felt that pain next. Plus, Twitter flying high, the social stock jumping more than 4% today. We are breaking down the move when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. One big loser in 2021, investors who bet against GameStop. Recall king of the meme mania GameStop going from less than 20 bucks a year ago to roughly 25 times that at its peak in January. It's backed off those highs, yet remains more than 700 percent higher for the year. 
And guess what? Hedge fund Melvin Capital burned after getting caught up in the short squeeze. That fund shaking off the worst of those losses, but still down 42 percent from January through November, according to Bloomberg. A one-time loss or the new normal for these hedge funds? I don't know. Victoria, it was um, a year where a lot of people underestimated this sort of retail power. And it was also a year that was very difficult for short sellers. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, never underestimate the power of the people when they make up their mind on something. And you had a group of people that had stimulus checks going into their accounts. You had people that had extra cash on hand because they couldn't go out and spend money on concerts and restaurants and things they were doing. And they found a place uh, to use that cash and they did it in the markets, which is a good thing. We like having retail traders come in and learn about the market. I just think you have to be super careful on these types of moves. I mean, we were not involved in, in GameStop or AMC on the long or the short end, um, for that matter. But we want to really look at names and you know, own them on their fundamentals. And for us, nothing changed in some of these names from the fundamental perspective. So the, the moves obviously didn't make sense to us, and we were not part of the rotation that you saw in these names. I hope that even if there is not another GameStop, if there is never another AMC guy, that all these people who started in the markets stay in the markets. I mean, that would really be something. That would be the legacy. No, no, without question, and most of them will stay. And, and we've said this dozens of times on the show. I mean, a lot of these people know more about convexity and negative gamma than the people that are paid to do it. So respectfully, you know, Melvin Capital probably got what they deserved in terms of the structure of the trade, and people figured it out. I, I'm all for that, by the way. It's a Darwinism type of situation here. So good for that crowd. And maybe if Melvin Capital were named like Achilles Capital, uh, they might have been impervious to this unless they got shot in the ankle. <laughs> the one weakness, of course. All right. Um, from video games, it, that's not very nice to Melvin Capital. I think it was named after his grandfather. Um, from video games to the interwebs, <laughs> Twitter shares top of the tape today. They're third best day in six months, but this comes after a terrible 2021. Regulatory concerns, changes to Apple's privacy settings, indiscriminately taking down the social stocks, Twitter included. The stock nosediving since a February record peak. So is today a sign of a turnaround in the offing? Dan, what do you say? Yeah, I don't really think so. I mean, I think that since Jack Dorsey resigned, you know, about a month ago, I think a lot of investors are just kind of asking themselves that this is a company that's got a, a little bit of a midlife crisis. We started the year with a lot of uh, hope about a lot of different sorts of new products that they were trying out. And none of them really stuck. Um, so let's see how this Twitter blue does. Um, you know, I also think, Mal, if you look at a lot of names that have been really hard hit of late, Pinterest was another one that was up 5% today. A lot of these uh, recent SPACs and some uh, tech IPOs that had performed very poorly over the last couple of months. We're all up. It was really squeezy. Chinese equities were up a lot. Uh, Alibaba was up 10% at one point today. Baidu was up 9%. So I think there was some like funkiness going on with this like kind of late year, I don't know, some somewhat of a mark maybe. Hmm. All right. We got some uh, breaking news out of DC we want to get to. Getting some headlines from President Biden's phone call with Vladimir Putin. Let's get to Elon Moy for the latest. Elon. Melissa, that phone call lasted about 50 minutes, and the White House said that during that conversation, President Biden urged President Putin to de-escalate tensions with Ukraine. The White House saying that the president made clear that the U.S. and its allies would respond decisively if Russia 
further invaded UK, Ukraine and that the president expressed support for ongoing diplomatic talks that will occur in Geneva and through NATO early next year. The president also said that substantive progress in those talks could only occur in an environment of de-escalation rather than escalation. Again, President Biden urging uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin to de-escalate tensions with Ukraine during that pivotal phone call this afternoon. Melissa. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Coming up, a China comeback. The K-Web China ETF jumping nearly 9% today after a rough year for the group. And that has options traders piling in. We'll tell you how they're playing this one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Coming up at the top of the hour, a CNBC special, Your Money 2022. We're breaking down what is in store for your money in the new year. It is all coming up right here on CNBC. Meantime, check out the K-Web Crane Shares China Internet ETF jumping today. This ETF has struggled mightily in 2021, losing more than 50 percent of its value this year. But options traders are betting on a big turnaround in 2022. Mike joins us with the action. Mike. Yeah, prompted probably by that big move that we saw in K-Web shares. It traded more than three times its average daily call volume and calls outpaced puts also by more than three to one. One of the areas where we saw a lot of the opening activity was the Jan 14th weekly 39 spot 92 strike calls. We saw a block of 9,000 of those trade for 40 cents. That was just one part of the action. But obviously, buyers of those calls are betting that the short-term rally that we've seen could continue over the next couple of weeks, and we could see more moves like the one we saw today. Yeah, we were talking uh, at the beginning of the show about China and China equities and specifically wind. But so, BK, I'm wondering if, if you would think that there would be a bounce in this one. I mean, listen, there could be a bounce. It could be a short squeeze, as Dan mentioned, and it may last over a couple of weeks, but I'm not going to be involved in it. And for the same reason as when, right? The Chinese government has already told you, if you make too much money, we are going to take it from you. That is not the type of investment that I want to be in. I'd rather have a tailwind type of investment where at least the government is somewhat supportive. But in this case, I don't have any way to protect Beijing. And they actually said, they've actually said by their actions, you know what, you can't be too successful. That's not a great investment in my view. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I have this magical screen, which allows me to see all the traders, even when they don't appear on the screen in front of you all out there. And I can see Guy laugh at what BK was saying. So I'm wondering, Guy, what caused you to laugh? His delivery. Um, you know, he's just I just love BK. I mean, everything about him is just joyful to me. So when I hear his voice, I just smile by definition. But I think BK would admit that sometimes <laughs> you find yourself in the eye of the storm where mm. things are calm mm. and actually look fantastic, which is where we are now. If you recall, Melms, last night we played a little game of trade it or fade it. And Baba was one of those names. I said trade it because you're yeah. about to see a bounce. And look at that sucker today. So, look, I with, with BK, the news flow could get bad. I just think we're sort of in a period of calm right now. Right. Thanks, Mike. Options Action. That's tomorrow. End of the year edition, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Final Trade Time, BK. Uh, you know what? The only way to get green is to go yellow. Yellow cake, that is uranium URA. Victoria. Dan's going to shake his head at me, but Bank of America. Dan shakes at everything. Dan. <laughs> Palantir. Guy. <laughs> Happy New Year, Melms. Target. Thanks for watching Fast. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.